Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Come have a seat. It's good to see you all this morning. My name is Ryan Anderson, and I'm excited to preach today. Um, I would love to pray before we do anything. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, I just pray that you would use me, a broken vessel, to speak your truth today. I pray that each one of us would walk out of those doors different than we walked in uh, because of what you are going to speak through me. I pray that you would do that, and I pray that anything that is of me would be lost and forgotten. Anything that's of you would sink deep within our hearts. Uh, God, we want to hear your voice, and we want to follow your voice, and I pray that today would just improve our ability to do that. Uh, We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, This is our new church building, same church, new building. I'm excited to preach here for the first time. I haven't done that. I've preached at Limelight and uh, Revive and now here, and so I'm excited. It's been a cool transition for this church, and it's been fun for me to have a little bit of a part in that, a very minor part in that. Um, But at our home, we have a very big transition going on as well. We gave birth, Lauren gave birth to a, (laughs) that was totally unintentional. Uh, We we didn't do anything. Lauren did the majority of the work. Um, Wells Shepherd Anderson. Max, Maxwell Shepard Anderson, we call him Wells, August 3rd, I know based on my history of sharing intimate details of birth uh, with the last two boys we had, you're all expecting me to do that today and it's not going to happen, sorry, that is between Lauren and I, and yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah, you can ask me the details, but I won't know them because I was... In the corner with a wet rag on my head, trying not to pass out. I didn't faint. I just got lightheaded and and sweaty and nauseous. And I'm starting to, again, thinking of the whole experience. So, I, I, (laughs) after I had recovered, I was like, was I pretty white? And the midwife was like, honey, you were green. I was like, ooh. That doesn't sound good. Um, I, I don't know. I'm sick of midwives. I'm ready for some mid-husbands to help us get through this process. It's, I know it's difficult for women, but it's not a cakewalk for men. Yeah. Anyway, we are the proud parents of three beautiful bouncing boys, uh, Jet, Foster, and Wells. Jet is four, Foster is two, Wells is not even three weeks old, and 90% of the time, I think we're good parents. Um, We love our kids. We tell them about Jesus. We do things that good parents do, but there are other times where I question whether or not we're the best parents. Um, Sometimes I wonder if, you know, a good parent would be able to teach his son how to put his shoes on the right feet. He's got a 50-50 shot, and he gets it wrong 100% of the time. I don't know how that's possible. Um, A good parent, if I were a good parent, we would just buy all blue plates to eat off of. They fight over who gets the blue plate every single time. And we got a whole cabinet full of multicolored plates. And I'm just like, we should buy all blue plates. 
Um, sometimes I have to tell them that, you know, their toys are all over the floor. It's time to clean up. And I tell them, and I tell them, and I tell them, and I just do it myself. And a good parent would probably not do that. A good parent would make them do it. Um, sometimes I just wonder if they can even hear my voice, honestly. The other day, Jed and Foster were watching a show, probably Paw Patrol or something like that. And I'm like, boys, come wash your hands. It's time for dinner. Um, they didn't respond. They just kept watching their show. And so a little louder, I was like, boys, time for dinner. Come wash your hands. Nothing. Boys, it's time for dinner. Wash your hands. Nothing. So finally, I calmly said, boys, it's time for dinner. Just please come wash your hands, please. And they came finally. But I swear sometimes they don't hear my voice. And the truth is, is that as we wrap up this series of Follow Me, I think they do that with their father, me. I do that with my father in heaven. And I, I think it's just, it's time I realized that I do that exact same thing. Um, so often we don't recognize the voice of God, just like my, vo my boys don't recognize my voice. And sometimes we do recognize the voice of God. We hear it, and we just don't obey. We don't follow. And let me tell you, my boys do that too. Uh, Luke 6 says this. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Some other transla translations say, listens to my voice, and then follows it. And then John 10, uh, verse 4 and 5 says this. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. And this series, Follow Me, we've been talking about leading others. We've been talking about how we become uh, spiritual fathers and mothers to people, how we are being spiritual sons and daughters, how we want to leave a legacy of impact on the generations to follow us. And the reality is, is that we don't have a chance to do that if we don't recognize and follow the voice of God. Um, and if you don't recognize the, and follow the voice of Jesus, then as you try to lead others, you will lead them astray. And maybe you don't even think anyone is watching you, but they are. And if you miss the voice of Jesus, then so will they. And right now, we have so many different voices telling us things. Uh, radio, TV, social media, the news, whatever. They tell us who we're supposed to be. They tell us how we're supposed to act. They tell us what we should be, what we're supposed to believe, and what is right and what is wrong. And the reality is it's so easy to listen to a voice that isn't the voice of God. And the voices that we need to realize that the voices that we listen to shape us. They shape our identity. They establish our identity. The voices that we listen to establish our identity. And so if we aren't listening to the right voice, our very identity is in jeopardy. Go back with me 10 years or so. Um, I just picked up my very first iPhone, shiny black iPhone 4S. Uh, leave the iPhone store. I don't know if it was Verizon or AT&T or whatever, but 
Um, <clears throat> I had never gotten a call on it yet. And so I have this bright, new, shiny phone just waiting on a call. And uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but, you know, nobody calls for like five minutes when you get a new phone. And you're like, is this thing even working? I haven't got a call on it yet. Not sure if it works. Um, but finally, an hour or so later, I finally get a call. My phone rings, and I'm excited, and I look, and it's a number I don't recognize. So I'm like, well, did my contacts not carry over or what? So I pick it up, and it was not an exciting call. It was my bank. Um, and they, were, they said, Ryan, um, we're concerned about some purchases that you've made. And in my head, I'm like, I know I've eaten KFC the last six days. It's right across the street from my house. The new mashed potato bowl is really, really good. So I'm kind of concerned about my purchases too. But they're like, no. They're like, we're concerned about purchases you've made in South Carolina. And I was like, I can assure you I did not make any purchases in South Carolina. And so they went through this list of all these purchases and as they go through the list, I'm like, no, I didn't purchase that. No, I didn't purchase that. No, I didn't purchase that. And eventually they said, Mr. Anderson, it looks like somebody has probably stolen your identity. And I was like, great. And I had to get a new debit card and social security card and weeks worth of annoying stuff to, to do all that to recover my identity. And the reality is, is our identity can be stolen very easily. And it's not just from identity thieves or just from society, but it, you know, from, it can be stolen from society. It can be stolen from us by social media. It can be stolen from us by any voice that we listen to that isn't the voice of Jesus. And it's easy to see how, you know, something like social media could do that, but it's not just that. You, if you get your identity from a political party, then you're listening to the wrong voice. And if you get your identity from ministry, it can be a good thing, from ministry or from leading a church or from leading people or from mentoring people or even from the people who are leading you, if that's where you get your identity, your identity is coming from the wrong place. We have to get our identity from listening to the voice of God. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, your identity is in Christ. The Bible is very clear on that. And if you want to know what Jesus thinks about you, if you want to know what he says about your identity, just open up the Bible because it's jam-packed full of truth about our identity in Christ. Uh, and if you're curious about that, my recommendation would be start in Ephesians, grab a highlighter, read chapter 1, read chapter 2, read chapter 3, and just start highlighting things that the Bible says our truth about your identity in Christ. And so that's a challenge for you this week, maybe, is open Ephesians with a highlighter, highlight things that God says about our identity in Christ. Because again, the Bible is super clear. Our identity as believers is in Christ. And it's critical to remind ourselves of that truth because it's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to begin to look horizontally for an identity that we can only get vertically through God. And maybe it's, you know, we get a new job. These are major pieces of our identity, but they're not our identity. You get a new job and you begin to make that your identity. 
or you get a new boyfriend or a new girlfriend or you get married and being a significant other or a spouse becomes our identity. And that's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Or you have a child and, become, and becoming a parent becomes your identity. And again, that, those are pieces of your identity, but they are not your identity. Your identity is in Christ and it, becomes, and it comes from the voice of God alone and the voice of others telling us what our identity can begin to speak louder to us than the voice of God. Um, and I think it's important for us to understand that our identity, if, if we truly want to understand our identity in Christ, we read the Bible, we get it from that, we hear God's word, we get it from that, but we also need to understand the identity of Christ. In order to, for us to understand our identity, we have to understand the identity of Christ. And obviously we'll never get there. The identity of Christ is huge and overwhelming and we'll never fully comprehend it in our human minds. But we need to begin to understand, A, just who it is who loves us, and B, just how much he loves us. And obviously, again, we'll never fully grasp that, but there is a place in the Bible uh, that the disciples themselves really begin to understand the identity of Christ, the identity of Jesus. And it's in Mark 8. Um, Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. He had just healed a blind man to gigantic miracles, no big deal. And now he's hanging with his disciples. Um, Mark 8, 27 through 29 says this. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? He asked them a question about his identity. Who do people say that I am? They, the disciples, replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. So a little confusion about the identity of Christ. Some say you're this guy, some say you're a prophet, some say you're this other guy. There's some confusion among the people about the identity of Christ. So... Um, <clears throat> who do people I say that I am? Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus says this, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the one who will save us. And for the first time, the disciples begin to understand and they vocalize the true identity of Christ. You are are the Christ, the one that will save us. They say he's more than a guy. They say he's more than just a prophet. He is a Lord. You are the Christ, the one that will save us. That is the identity of Jesus. He is God in the flesh right in front of them. And here's the cool thing. They begin to understand that if Jesus is Lord, if that's his identity, which it is, then that also says something about them. That says something about their identity. And the same is true for us. If Jesus is Lord, if that's his identity, and it is, that says something about our identity too. If Jesus is loving, if that's his identity, then I am loved. That's my identity. If Jesus is restoring, then I am whole. If Jesus is forgiving, then I'm forgiven. If Jesus is a redeemer, then I'm redeemed. And the list goes on and on and on. Because our identity flows directly out of the identity of our creator. 
And even though, you know, we know these things are true, it's, again, so easy to let our identity slip. It's so easy to let our identity um, be stolen by others. And in the first two pages of the Bible, Genesis 3.8, it happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They had just betrayed God for the first time, and they felt shame for the first time. Um, And when they felt shame, they noticed that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves, and then they hid. But God pursued them still. He comes looking for them. And so Genesis 3.9 says this, But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? In the midst of their shame, in the midst of their nakedness, God says, Who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? It wasn't me. It wasn't my voice. It wasn't the voice of God. And the reality is, is that we believe the same lies that Adam and Eve believed. And God asks us that same question. Who told you that? Think of some things in your life that you're believing lies to and ask yourself, who told you that? Who told you that you weren't a good enough husband? Who told you that you weren't a good enough wife? Who told you that you weren't a good enough mom or a good enough dad? Who told you that you couldn't lead at a church? Who told you that you didn't have what it takes or that you couldn't overcome your sin or that you couldn't overcome your past? Who told you that? Who told you that you should get a divorce? Who told you that you should quit? Who told you that you are alone? Because it wasn't God. It was not God telling you that. If you're listening to those voices, you're listening to the wrong voice. God says, you listen to my voice. You listen to my voice. That is where your identity comes from. When I first became a Christian, 18 or so years ago now, I had this amazing optimism about becoming a better person and becoming a better version of myself. And I had just given my life to Christ. I had known, you know, I am a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And there was this awesome optimism there. But now, after following Jesus for so many years, I think I feel more sinful and I feel less holy probably than I ever have. Um, And when I'm at my best, you could ask Lauren or you could ask some people, some of the people closest to me, and they would say probably that, you know, I'm filled with the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all that, when I'm at my best. But at my worst, those same people would tell you that I can be petty and that I have a sharp tongue and that I can get angry about very stupid little things. And they will tell you that I rely on the approval of others instead of Jesus. They would tell you that I could be selfish and that I could be a coward. And I just avoid conflict no matter what it takes. And then I somehow convince myself that that's a good thing. Uh, They would tell you that I use my platform at times and my position for my own glory instead of the glory of God. Uh, maybe they could tell you that I'm scared of what's to come instead of trusting God with my future. I'm broken, and I'm messy, and I'm scared, and I'm ashamed, and I have times of feeling hopeless when I should have the hope of Jesus in me, 
and I could keep going on for a while. Um, <clears throat> but I know that all of that is a result of me listening to a voice that is not God's. And all of this is me desperately looking for hope in things horizontal when the only thing I need to look for hope for is in something vertical and hearing the voice of God. And the reality is, is I know it's not just me. I find some encouragement in the fact that King David in the Bible, a man after God's own heart, as the Bible says, had a list like that. Paul, you know, who wrote half the New Testament or whatever, he had a list like that. Isaiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, um, in his words was a man of unclean lips. He had a, unclean lips. He had a list like that. Chris, I'm sure you have a list like that. Kip, you have a list like that. Dalton has a list longer than that. <laughs> and you have a list. Sorry, Dalton. <laughs> Um, you have a list like this. I know you do. And the reality is, is that is not your identity. You are a sinner, yes, but you are a deeply loved sinner. That is your identity. And those things on your list, those are a result of you listening to any voice except for Jesus. Do you know what Jesus' voice says about you? Let me tell you, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have redemption through his blood. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are a prophet to the nations. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession, a son or daughter of the high king. You are called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are no longer servants, but friends. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God has prepared for you in advance. Your citizenship is in heaven. <clears throat> we are more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. If you listen to the voice of Jesus, you will learn your identity. And you will know that you are loved more than you can possibly imagine. Does anyone in here watch This Is Us? This Is Us is a really good show. Lauren and I love it. Season, whatever, last season is coming out in January. Can't wait for it. We love that show. But one of the characters in that show, Randall's wife, um, <clears throat> spoiler alert, owns a dance studio. Not that big of a spoiler. But, <laughs> um, so she owns a dance studio, and one of the episodes, one of the, maybe it was the finale of the last episode, I, I just, something struck me. God spoke to me through this episode. Uh, they were sitting there in the dance studio, and they were talking about the mirrors in the dance studio. And they're saying, you know, why does a dance studio have so many mirrors? Do you know why a dance studio has so many mirrors? To correct mistakes. Mistakes that are measured in fractions of a degree. Mistakes that nobody else would ever notice except you when you're looking in the mirror at yourself. And we are like those dancers. We notice the smallest mistakes in ourselves, our hair, our face, our body, our voice, 
our sin, our whatever it is, every imperfection in us, every imperfection we have, we see. And God looks at us, and he looks past those, and he sees his son. He, Jesus took away those imperfections on the cross. They're gone, based on what Jesus did on the cross. And so he can look at us, he can look at our imperfections, look right past them, and see his son, Jesus. And the voice of God is that. He's telling you you're perfect. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, you are now, you now have righteousness in you. Any voice outside of that is not God's voice. And the amazing thing about Jesus is that our imperfections, those things that we see in the mirror that are imperfect about us, the things that we know, you know, our sin, our weakness, those are the very resume items that allow us to approach the throne of God. And it's only because of what Jesus did on the cross. <clears throat> Back to Jet and Foster, our four-year-old and our two-year-old, they can make a mess. I talked about cleaning up after them. Um, they will dump out a box of toys, play with it for three seconds, and then go and dump out another box of toys just to dump it out. Foster especially. And recently, they have been into Legos, which I've enjoyed because... I get to play with Legos. And so they'll be, usually they come up to me and they're like, Daddy, will you play with us? And now I'm going up to them and I'm like, hey, you guys want to play some Legos or anything right now? Um, and I'm a really good Lego builder now. Um, but that's the good thing about Legos. The bad thing about Legos is they leave a huge mess. You can buy a Ziploc bag size thing of Legos and it's like 650 pieces. You're like, how did they fit this many Legos in here? It's also like $650. Those things are very expensive. Um, <clears throat> but the other day when it was time to clean up, we had all the Legos out. Jet, uh, I'm like, Jet, it's time to clean up. Foster, let's clean up. Jet looked and he's like, uh-uh. He literally said, it's too big of a mess. Like, I'm not touching that thing. He was intimidated by the mess that was in front of him. And I get it, but... In our lives, Jesus is not intimidated by our mess. We can have a big old mess of Legos in our heart. We can have the messiest floor. We can have the dirtiest soul, whatever you want to say it. It doesn't matter how messy life is. It doesn't matter how long your list of sins is. It doesn't matter how ugly your past is or what your rap sheet looks like. Jesus is not intimidated by your mess. And if you think he is, then you don't realize the power of what Jesus did on the cross completely wiped away every mess, every sin of every person in all the world for all of time, he took it. Their anxiety, he took. Your past, he'll take that. Your shame, he'll take that. Your sin, the one that no one knows about, the one that you're hiding, the one that is eating you alive inside, God will take that. He will take it, he took it, and he nailed it to the cross, and it's gone. It's his. Your mess does not, it might scare you, but it does not scare Jesus. It might scare people around you, but it does not scare Jesus. So bring it to him, drop it at his feet, because he wants it. Whatever that mess is and how many, however many pieces are in that mess, give it to Jesus because he wants it. <clears throat> When 
we do this, when we drop our mess at the feet of Jesus, when we give him our mess, and when we learn to listen to the voice of Jesus and no other voices, when we learn to follow his voice, when we hear it and follow it and obey his voice, and most importantly, when we realize the extent of our own mess, but also the degree to which it's covered, then we can begin to jump into the messes of other people. When we're hearing God's voice and understanding the reality of our sinfulness, but also the extent that it's covered on the cross, then we can begin to jump into the messes of other people. And that, as we talk about spiritual fathers and mothers, that is when we become spiritual fathers and mothers. When we look at someone And like Paul, we can say, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm hearing his voice. Follow me in that. The main thing that you're going to give to your family, the main thing that you're going to give to those who follow you, the main thing that you are currently giving to God is your heart. It's the person that you are becoming. And when your heart is aligned with God and you are tuned into his voice, listening and following his voice and his voice alone, then you will begin to have the impact on the following generations that you desire. Isaac talked about it a couple weeks ago. That was one of the best, I texted him, I was like, Isaac, that might have been the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. Like, and I was not exaggerating. It was really, really good. And it, it, maybe it had something to do with, we had a baby like four days earlier, and my desire to invest in the following generations was maybe at its peak. But I was just like, man, I want to hear God's voice and I want to listen and obey so that I can invest in my sons and in my friends and in my wife and in my family and my, the people around me. <clears throat> and as you follow Jesus, a lot of times I'm intimidated by jumping into the mess of other people. I'm intimidated by how am I supposed to lead someone when I just publicly listed off a long list of sins, which currently kind of regretting, but I am, I am just like, I know that I want to invest in the people around me. I know that I want to do that. And as I follow Jesus, I get intimidated by doing that. But the reality is, is as I follow Jesus, I don't necessarily need to try and invest too hard in the people around me because it just will happen. As I follow Jesus, that impact will happen. That's just kind of how it works. People will look at you as you are following Jesus and say, I don't know what it is about Jared, but there's something different about him, and I want it. There's something different about Kip. There's something different about Heidi. There's something different about whoever is following Jesus, and you say, I want that in my life. You will be more kind, you'll be more loving, you'll be more compassionate because you are trusting deeply in Jesus and his spirit is moving through you and out of you into the lives of the people that you are interacting with. More and more and more and more people want to follow you just because you are following Jesus. And again, that's intimidating because leading people is messy. Jumping into their lives is messy. It makes things a little more complicated in your life, and I'm learning that a lot these days. Um, I've got some messes that I've stuck my hands into, um, even outside of my own. I've got plenty of my own, but even in the people who I love and the people who I'm um, 
doing my best to invest in. I've stuck my hands in some messes, and it's not easy. But the reality is, is it's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to jump into the mess of other people. And again, like 18 years ago or so, when I started following Jesus, God put this thing in my life where I just had a desire to jump into the mess with other people. And especially, I work for Youth for Christ, especially 11 to 19 year olds. And they got some messes. 11 to 19 year olds, some of you have kids who are 11 to 19. Many of you were 11 to 19. Um, <clears throat> and you got some, you know that 11 to 19 year olds, teenagers, have messes. Cutting, suicide, depression, anxiety, drugs, you name it, and they deal with it. And the reality is, is most of the students that I worked with or work with um, haven't known much about Jesus when we're starting, which makes things a little more complicated and intimidating. But as you think about who in my life do I need to invest in, and you begin to get intimidating, realize that if you're following Jesus, A, it's going to be less intimidating. If you are hearing his voice and listening and allowing him to lead you, that will be less intimidating. And then you begin to just simply build a relationship with someone. You get to know their story. You ask them about their family. You ask them about their interests. And in the midst of that, you begin to tell them your story. You find out, you, you tell them about your family. You tell them about the things you like. And you tell them about, um, ultimately, God's story, Jesus, and the story of the Bible and how that has impacted you and your life. And suddenly, all three of these things, my story and their story and your story, are all interwoven, and God's story is a part of that. And they begin to realize, okay, I think I know what's different about Chris. I think I know what's different about Ryan. I know what's different about Isaac. It's that Jesus part that he has and I don't. And I want to figure out how to get that in my life. And <clears throat> just like in investing in high school students for me or the people that you may be in relationship with in your life, there are times when you need to be gracious and careful. It's kind of like excavating. I've never excavated anything before, but I've watched Jurassic Park a couple times, and I know that sometimes you need to use a little brush when you're uncovering things, a fossil or whatever. You need to be gentle and brush away just small little grains of dirt. And there are other times when you need to take a pickaxe to someone's soul and dig out some chunks. And I don't know what that looks like for you in your life or the people's lives you're in, but be aware of that. Allow God's voice to shape that in you. When do I use a pickaxe and when do I use a little brush? <clears throat> because that's what God calls us to do is to excavate the hearts of those around us, to dig in and invest in them. Because the reality is, is that you haven't just been chosen to be a recipient of God's grace, but you've been called to be an instrument of God's grace. You weren't just saved from something, but you were saved to something and for something. <clears throat> Recently, let's see, four months ago, we moved in in May, whenever that was, four months-ish, we moved into a new house. 
Um, an opportunity came up to buy Lauren's parents' house. It was Lauren's childhood home. Awesome house, awesome location. For three months, we got to live with my in-laws, which is any man's dream. <laughs> awesome roommates. Um, a month ago, they moved out, praise Jesus. <laughs> and now we have the house to ourselves. Uh, but it was an opportunity that we just couldn't turn down. And um, we knew that we were supposed to move. We were excited to move. But we were not excited about leaving our old house. We loved our old house. And the part we loved most about our old house was our neighbors. We had great neighbors across the street. We had neighbors, you know, down a couple of houses. We, we knew most of the people on our cul-de-sac. We were on a little cul-de-sac. Um, <clears throat> they would give snacks to the boys. Um, they would give them popsicles, all kinds of stuff. They were, we just loved them. Um, and then at the end of the cul-de-sac were Don and Bev. Don and Bev are in their 60s. We began to get really friend, uh, friendly with them and just get to know them. They would walk by our house holding hands every night, and it was just sweet to watch. And then 20, 30 minutes later, they would walk back by our house. Um, and as that happened, we began to walk, or we, we began to get to know them more. Um, they got to know us. We talked baseball. We talked whatever. Don would come down, and he would help me work on my lawnmower. Um, he would let me borrow his tiller. He would, uh, one time, he would bring us vegetables in his garden. One time, it would, was pouring rain, and our back patio was quickly flooding and about to come in our back uh, back door, which would have been very bad. And so he and I, literally in the pouring rain, lightning, thunder, were standing in knee-deep water, risking our lives to, like, bail out water out so it wouldn't come in our back door. Um, <clears throat> and so Don and Bev were just sweet people we got to know. And then one day, our doorbell rang, and it was Don at the door. Lauren answered, and she came down. I was working in our home office, and she said, uh, Ryan, I think Don needs to talk to you. And he had tears flowing down his eyes. And Don and I sat down, and Don told me that Bev had just got diagnosed with cancer. Stage four lung cancer, not looking good. In that moment, Lauren and I jumped into their mess. Our conversations went from baseball and family to faith and Jesus and heaven. And we prayed for Don and Bev. We visited them down the street. We asked how Bev's treatments were going. We brought them food. Lauren took the last family pictures that they would ever take. And we did it all so that we could do our best to point them to listen to the voice of Jesus. Because I would imagine that in the midst of a cancer battle, it's really easy to listen to voices that are not the voice of Jesus, to be lonely and to lose hope and to get scared. And last month, early July, um, we got to go and celebrate the life of Beth. And we went to her funeral and visitation and we got to hug Don as tight as we could and we got to cry with him as he mourned the loss of his wife of 43 years. And since then, in the last six weeks, we've got to walk with Don as he adjusts to his new life at home by himself. We've got to pray with him some more. 
and we got to pray with him not in a room plenty of times. He lives on Knoxville, and so every time we drive down Knoxville, we drive past his backyard and Jet shouts from the back seat. I prayed for Don, and Jet and I the other day hit some golf balls at the driving range with Don and his grandson. And I'm sure he's still lonely, and I know he's still scared, but he's not hopeless because he's clinging to the voice of Jesus. I will show you what it's like when someone comes, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, or when the cancer diagnosis comes, or when your wife of 40 years gets sick, or when your child goes astray, or when your marriage starts to crumble, or when your job lets you go, when the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it's well-built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. I want you to close your eyes, if you would. And I want you to just answer some of these questions in your mind. Are you listening to God's voice? Do you hear it? Do you recognize it? What is God saying to you right now? And when you hear God's voice, do you follow it? Do you listen? Are you built on that firm foundation of the voice of Jesus? Or are you without a foundation? And when the flood sweeps in, will it collapse in a heap of ruins? Are you listening to a voice that isn't God's? kind of lies are you believing right now? Where has the voice of someone else or something else stepped in front of the voice of God? Who told you that? Who told you that you weren't enough? Who told you that you didn't have what it takes? Where is God saying, who told you that in your life? Where are you believing a voice that is not God's? And then finally, whose mess do you need to jump into today? Whose soul do you need to take a pickaxe to, to invest in their mess, to jump in, get a little dirty, get some mud on your eyes for the sake of pointing them to the voice of Jesus? Jesus is not intimidated by your mess. 
He's not intimidated by their mess. Whose soul do you need to invest in today? Jesus, we love you. We are asking for more of you in our lives. We're asking you to take our hearts, to take our pain, to take the things in our lives that are messy and broken and to mend them and to heal them. And Jesus, we pray that we would hear your voice clearly and that the voice that we hear that's yours, we would obey and we would follow. And God, we want to help others in that journey as well. Help us to do that, Jesus. Help us to um, invest in the people around us, to love them, to be a light to them, and to point them to the voice that gives us our identity. Jesus, we love you, and we trust you in this. Amen.